Maybe it's been a little bit of a long week for you. Maybe there's some burdens that you're carrying tonight. And it's always good to come in the midweek and have our attention turned to the Word of God. Psalm 147, this evening we find ourselves now in another one of the Hallelujah or the Hallel Psalms. And all five of the last psalms in the book of Psalms are these types, and they're noted by the fact that they begin and end the psalm with the phrase, praise ye the Lord. Obviously, Psalm 147 is another psalm about praise, and the psalmist is encouraging us to praise the Lord, and in this case, In Psalm 147, he makes the statement, praise is comely. Tonight, we want to think about this this idea that praise is comely. And we're going to begin reading in verse 1. We'll read all the way down through the end of the psalm, and then we'll get right into our study for this evening. The Bible says, praise ye the Lord, for it is good to sing praises unto our God. For it is pleasant, and praise is comely. The Lord doth build up Jerusalem, he gathereth together the outcasts of Israel. He healeth the broken in heart, and bindeth up their wounds. He telleth the number of the stars, he calleth them all by their names. Great is our Lord, and of great power. His understanding is infinite. The Lord lifteth up the meek, he casteth the wicked down to the ground. Sing unto the Lord with thanksgiving. Sing praise upon the harp unto our God, who covereth the heaven with clouds, who prepareth rain for the earth, who maketh grass to grow upon the mountains. He giveth to the beast his food and to the young ravens which cry. He delighteth not in the strength of the horse. He taketh not pleasure in the legs of a man. The Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear him, in those that hope in his mercy. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise thy God, O Zion. For he hath strengthened the bars of thy gates. He hath blessed thy children within thee. He maketh peace in thy borders and filleth thee with the finest of the wheat. He sendeth forth his commandment upon earth. His word runneth very swiftly. He giveth snow like wool, He scattereth the hoarfrost like ashes. He casteth forth his ice like morsels. Who can stand before his cold? He sendeth out his word and melteth them. He causeth his wind to blow and the waters flow. He showeth his word unto Jacob, his statutes and his judgments unto Israel. He hath not dealt so with any nation, And as for his judgments, they have not known them. Praise ye the Lord. Now you'll notice Psalm 147 is divided into three distinct sections. Each section begins with a call to worship or an invitation to praise God. The first one is found in verse 1 when he admonishes us, it is good to sing praises unto our God. The second one is found in verse 7 when he tells us, Sing unto the Lord with thanksgiving. 
sing praise upon the harp unto our God. The third is found in verse 12 when he says, Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise thy God, O Zion. So we're going to look at the psalm in these three sections. And what you're going to find is, after each call to praise, after each command to worship, there are reasons given for why we should praise the Lord. The psalm as a whole is made up of many reasons why we ought to praise the Lord. In the first section, verses 1 through 6, he states simply that praise is good. Praise is good. He says it there very plainly after he tells us we ought to praise the Lord and calls us to that praise. He says, it is good to sing praises. The statement is simple, but it's profound. Oftentimes, when we least feel like praising God is when we most need to praise God. What he means when he says it is good to sing praises is, first of all, it is good in God's sight. God enjoys our praises. And so it is something that is good towards God. It is also good to other men. As they hear us praise God, it directs their thinking in righteousness and understanding who God is. But then we also find that it is good for me to praise God. It is a blessing to me, and it brings many benefits when you and I learn to sing praises. Now, I don't know if you've understood this or noticed this about your natural man, your flesh, but your flesh and my flesh, our sin nature is repulsed by the thought of praising God. And our natural man would rather complain and murmur. That's our natural pattern, is to find the things that we don't like, the things that we are grumpy about, the things that we would like to see change, the things that we are discontented with. And God says, for you and I, praise is good. It is good for us not just to say praise to God, but it is good for us to sing praise to God. And there's something about a melody put with good words of praise that can lift our spirits and bring much goodness into our life. He goes on in verse 1, and he describes the singing of praises unto God as pleasant. And you will find that involving yourself in praising God through song will bring pleasure and delight into your life. That's exactly what that word pleasant means. It's that which brings pleasure that which brings delight into your life. Learn to lift up your voice and sing to God. Then he says in verse 1, praise is comely. And the word comely there means that it is, it's like the the idea of the word fashionable or uh, that which is beautiful, that which is adorning to your person. Uh, Sometimes We'll we'll put on jewelry or we'll try to dress in nice clothes because we want to look in a certain way. We want to look comely. Well, God says that when we learn to sing praises to him, that praise is comely. And I believe he's speaking about comely in his sight. As God listens to us praise him, he says, praise looks good on the people of God. 
And that's the truth. You know, praise is something that ought to be a habit of our life, and it certainly reflects what we think about God. It is suitable for you and I to praise the Lord. Now, in the following verses, he's then going to give us some reasons to praise God, some things to direct our thought and our praise towards the presence of God. So he says in verses 2 and 3, he begins to talk about Jehovah's merciful works. And he's spelling out what God has done. In this case, he's speaking about God's merciful works towards the people of Israel and the city of Jerusalem. And he says in verse 2, "...the Lord doth build up Jerusalem." Jerusalem, that city, and the people that lived there, the children of Israel, were nothing until God made something out of them. It was God who chose them. It was God who lifted them up. It was God who built up the city of Jerusalem and made it a significant place. And here he says we ought to praise God because of what he did for Jerusalem. I remind you, because you might be thinking tonight, well, I don't live in Jerusalem. What does this have to do with me? This is symbolic of the work that God does in the life of all of His people. As God is building up His people and He is building something out of our lives and we see what God is doing in us, it ought to cause us to say, God, you ought to be praised because you are building something up. Then he goes on in verse 2 and he makes this statement, that the Lord gathereth together the outcasts of Israel. Now, the outcasts are those who are forsaken and despised by the world. And what we find all through the scriptures, and particularly in the story of the nation of Israel, is that God delights in finding people who are looked down upon by the world, and then God takes them and makes something out of their life so that everyone will know It had nothing to do with those people and everything to do with God. He gathers the outcasts together and the purpose of gathering them together is so that they might praise him. I'm reminded how when Jesus came and called out 12 disciples, the men that he called were not the men in the upper echelon of the ruling class of Israel. He called simple men, men who were fishermen, Men, a man who was a tax collector, men who were, who were just ordinary, what we might call blue-collar guys, who were just average Israelites, but God said, I'm going to make something out of them. And Jesus took those men and formed them into the very first New Testament church, and later people would marvel that these men who were uneducated and simple and from the back country, how could they be so powerful in their preaching? It's because God had gathered them together and had given them great power. And that gives us reason to praise God. If you can identify yourself tonight as one who is forsaken by the world and looked down upon, and yet God has had mercy upon you, that ought to tune your heart to praise the name of the Lord. Verse 3, He healeth the broken in heart. And the idea here is that God reaches out to people who have sustained very deep wounds in their person. This broken heart 
uh, is not a physical wound. This is not a, a sickness or a disease, but this is instead something that is much more serious. A broken heart is the inner man being broken down, hope being taken away, uh, all perspective of any sort of, of uh, anticipation of good for the future is, is robbed from this person. And God delights in coming along and finding that person and healing their broken heart. Only God can heal a broken heart, by the way. This, this phrase in verse number three really describes for us the deep brokenness that sin brings. And I think we understand this, you know, that when people follow down the path of sin, it can bring great destruction and brokenness and hurt into their life. But isn't it marvelous how God can reach down to a person like that and redeem them and heal their broken heart, give them hope for the future, change their life? And all of that should cause us to say, Lord, you ought to be praised. He goes on in verse 3 and says that he bindeth up their wounds. Sin brings wounds and scars. All around us, people are hurting because of the weight of the burden of sin that they carry. But our God delights in binding up the wounds of those who have been broken by sin. He's called the great physician because he can bring true healing and restoration. And this ought to cause us to praise the Lord. If you've got some wounds that have been bound up and you've experienced some spiritual healing, then when you hear the songs of praise to God, it ought to cause you to say, I want to sing to the Lord. I want to praise his name. I ask you tonight, have you experienced God's mercy in your life? If so then you ought to praise his name. In verse 4, as he's encouraging us to praise the Lord, he gives us another reason, and this one is marvelous. It's simply that he has actually called all the stars by name. This is a staggering thought. He telleth the number of the stars, he calleth them all by their names. Think about... Scientists today tell us they really don't even know how many stars there are. Because every time they get a bigger telescope that can look farther, they realize there's whole solar systems that they've never seen before. They can't even possibly come close to numbering all the stars. And yet our God who created them knows exactly how many stars there are. And not only does he know how many there are, but he has called them and he continues to call them all by their names. Now, any of you who are parents know how significant this is because if you're a parent, you realize that half the time you can't even remember your kids' names. Sometimes I see all the kids running around church and I, I can place them in a family and then I think, now which one is that? Have mercy on me because I can't even remember my own children's names. They get called all of their siblings' names usually before I figure out who they are. That's my weakness and my frailty. But our God, He calls the stars by name. And that's a good reason that when you hear that advertisement about the star registry, don't waste your money. God already (laughs) named them all. He's already called it out, so you don't get to name any stars, all right? 
All right, if you did it, it's okay. I'm sure the Lord will understand. Psalm 147, look at verse 5. Why else should we praise God? Because of His greatness. Because of His greatness. Great is our Lord and of great power. His understanding is infinite. This word great speaks of His magnitude. It it is a superlative. It's, It's describing greatness that is beyond our comprehension. His understanding, it says, is infinite, which means it has no end. There's no bottom to what God understands and what God knows. It's incredible to think of a God who is omnipotent and then to realize in verse 6, though He is so great, we should praise Him because the Lord lifteth up the meek. He looks to those who are meek, those who are not standing up for themselves, those who are looked down upon. Perhaps the world looks at them and says they're weak, they're feeble, they don't have much to offer. And God says, that's the kind of person that I'm going to lift up. And then he uses his great power to cast down the wicked. Those who exalt themselves against God and who insist that they can get away with their sin, God says, I'm going to judge that. And tonight we ought to praise God because he is the righteous judge. And so we find in verses 1 through 6 that praise is good. It's good for us to sing praises to God. Now again in verse 7, verses 7 through 11, he calls us again to sing unto the Lord. And he says in verse 7, sing unto the Lord with thanksgiving. Let the subject of our songs be the things that we are thankful for. It's interesting that we can give thanks to God with our words and we can give thanks to God with our music. And here he's clearly wanting us to give thanks to God in our music. Our voices that God has given to us are musical. And we have the ability with these incredible, the incredible equipment that God has created us with to make sounds of harmony and melody. And we can take those sounds and put them together with profound words which lift up the Lord and speak of His goodness to us and talk about how thankful we are. Not only can we praise Him with our voices, but He says in verse 7, we can sing praise upon the harp unto our God. So God has given us the ability to make music with our voices but he has also given us the ability to make music with different instruments. And God has blessed us in this way. It's, uh, I like to tell my kids that music is just math, which they don't like to hear too much, but it's true. Uh, actually, music wouldn't make sense if there wasn't math involved, but it's incredible how sound waves that are created by an instrument, whether it is a stringed instrument like a piano or a harp, or a brass instrument like a trumpet or a trombone, or a wind instrument like a flute or a clarinet, uh, whatever the instrument might be, that music can lend praise to God. And We are blessed here in this church to have many talented musicians and 
especially many of our young people who've been given the opportunity to learn an instrument. And I would just admonish all of you who play an instrument, because sometimes it's nerve-wracking to get up there and play in front of the congregation, and what if I make a mistake, and what if it's not perfect? Just remember that every time you play, you're playing to the glory of God. You're playing to give praise to God. He is the primary audience. You want to lift up his name. Certainly practice. Be, do the very best that you can. Be excellent. But then just offer your best to God. And remember that he's the one that we're praising. We're not putting on performances. We're trying to lift up the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we can use music to thank and praise God. He gives us some reasons that we can sing, some specific things now that we can be thankful for, that we can notice about our God. In verse 8, he says about God that his work in nature is seen. Verses 8 and 9 talk about several things that we can look at in nature. For instance, in verse 8, he says that the, the Lord covereth the heaven with clouds. Now, lately, it seems like he's been giving us a lot of clouds, and today we actually saw the sun, and that was nice, but those clouds are important, aren't they? Because those clouds are a part of the water cycle, which is what he's going to then begin developing, this thought about how these clouds carry moisture, and God prepares rain for the earth, And when that rain falls upon the earth, it makes the grass to grow upon the mountains. And isn't it marvelous how God designed all of these things to work together so that the earth replenishes itself? We don't have to, as men, we don't have to think now, how are we going to get it to rain? Let's Now, I do realize that there are scientists who are worrying about this. And they're thinking that we need to figure this out and we need to start doing stuff to nature to try to get it to rain more. I get a little nervous about scientists who think they can manipulate nature that way. God made it to work. Probably some of our biggest problem is trying to live in places where maybe God didn't want us to live in the first place, where there's not enough water to support life. Anyway, I digress. We see that God created this world to work in such a fashion that the clouds provide rain and the rain waters the earth and the grass grows upon the mountains. And then verse 9, the beasts come along and they eat the food. The implication is they eat the grass that grows. And then we see the young ravens that cry. God takes care of all of the animals. He meets their needs all the things, all the creatures that grow in the grass that support the other life, and God just makes it all to work seamlessly. And all of this is a reason for us to praise God. If you sit and you marvel at nature, sometimes it might just cause you to break out in song and say, thank you, Lord, for all that you've done. Thank you for this world that you've given, that you've made. Thank you for the beauty of creation. Sometimes when I sit and look at the world around me, I wonder, what was it like before the curse of sin? I wonder what it was like when it was perfect. Because it's so marvelous and beautiful now, it must be beyond our comprehension what it was like before that. By the way... God will give us a chance to see that one day when he makes a new heaven and a new earth. And we'll get to enjoy that. 
in eternity. Now in verse 10, he reminds us as we're praising and singing to the Lord, what does not impress God? Well, there's two things that are mentioned. First of all, it says he delighteth not in the strength of the horse. Now understand, God is the one who made the horse, and he made the horse to be a beast of strength, a beast of power. Horses in this day when Psalm 147 was written, they were a symbol of great power and authority, and God is the one who made the horse. But understand, the things that impress men don't impress God. God is not wowed by strength. We, we like to think, and maybe for us, we would think of horses, and instead we might think of like tanks and aircraft carriers and fighter jets, and we think, oh, nuclear bombs, we've got a lot of power. And God says, you've got nothing on me. He's not impressed by the strength of the horse. It also says in verse 10, he taketh not pleasure in the legs of a man. And you might say, that's a curious phrase. What is that talking about? Well, in your human body, the largest and strongest muscles of your body are found in your legs. They're very powerful. And oftentimes, men uh, can, when they learn how to properly use their legs, they can lift a lot of weight because those legs are strong. And, and what, he's, what he's implying is that men tend to be impressed with their own strength, with their own ability, with what they can accomplish. But God is not impressed by that. God is not wowed by what we bring to the table. God is not in need of our strength tonight. Now, that's what he's not impressed by. So what is it that gives him pleasure, according to verse 11? Well, what pleases God, what he delights in and takes pleasure in, according to verse 11, is he takes pleasure in them that fear him, in those that hope in his mercy. Instead of taking pleasure in our ability, ingenuity, and strength, God is impressed and he takes pleasure when you and I choose to fear him. And that word fear means to reverence, to honor, and to worship him. Going right along with the theme of our psalm, that is, God is impressed when we praise him. When we come before his presence with singing, this is what gives pleasure to God. He also takes pleasure when we hope in his mercy. So often we find ourselves hoping in our own ability, hoping in our strength, in our answers to solve the problems of life. But what God wants and what impresses God is when we turn to him and say, Lord, I'm going to put my hope in you. I'm going to put my hope in your ability to solve this situation. So we find praise is good. We find that we ought to sing unto the Lord. And then in verses 12 through 20, we find that the people of God in particular are called to praise God. The people of God ought to praise God. So he says in verse 12, Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise thy God, O Zion. 
Who is he talking to? He's talking to the people of God. And he's saying particularly to the people of God, you ought to praise the Lord. Now, everyone should praise God. Even the heathen should praise God. Even the people who are far from God are created in such a way that they ought to give glory to God. But we can understand that they don't know how to praise God. They don't realize it's a priority. But of all the people on the earth who ought to be praising God, it's the people who know God. Yet sadly, there's many people who call themselves the people of God who neglect to praise God. So he calls the people of God to praise, and then he gives some reasons beginning in verse number 13. If Jehovah is thy God, here's why you ought to praise him. For he hath strengthened the bars of thy gates. So we see, first of all, in the beginning of verse 13, that protection is granted to the people of God. He gives his protection in the lives of those who are his children. In the city of Jerusalem, the gates would have been that which enclosed, of course, with the walls, enclosed the city. The gates were the point of access. When an enemy attacked the city, the point where they would try to to, uh, penetrate, to try to get in, would be at the gates, because that would give them instant access to all the thoroughfares that ran through the city. So they would come hard against those gates. God says that he has strengthened the bars of those gates to protect his people to care for them, to meet their needs. It was imperative that the bars of those gates would be strong. And because they were strong, the people could say God had protected them. Also, in the latter part of verse 13, He hath blessed thy children within thee. So there is a blessing upon the posterity And I want to remind you tonight that God has always been interested in the next generation. God is always interested in whatever generation is currently serving Him. He wants us to pass the baton to the next generation. He wants the blessing to pass upon them, for them to receive the same kind of blessing that we have received. In other words, God intends for His blessing to be extended to those who follow after us. That ought to be a burden of our hearts as the children of God, that our children and grandchildren would desire to follow the Lord. So the posterity of God's people is blessed. In the beginning of verse 14, he says that peace is given to them as a blessing. He maketh peace... In thy borders. Now, when we think about peace, the scripture tells us in the New Testament that we ought to pray for kings and for all that are in authority that we might lead a peaceable life. We we desire peace, don't we? Who wants to have war and fighting in your country? We want to have peace and tranquility and the ability to pursue a life that is pleasing to God in that environment. Notice that peace comes from God. God wants to grant the desire for peace to His people. The thing that is interesting about our God is that He is even able to grant peace to us during times of calamity and trial. 
even when all around us seems like it's not peaceful, God is able to give us that kind of peace that passes all understanding, that keeps our hearts and minds. And because of this, we can praise God for the peace that He gives even in the midst of the storm. Verse 14, the latter part of the verse says, we can praise God because of His provision for us. It says specifically in this verse that He filleth thee with the finest of the wheat. And that's why God doesn't want us to be gluten-free. All right, just kidding. It does make you wonder, though, doesn't it? I wonder what men have done to wheat that has made it to be something that is an irritant when God made it to be a blessing. Again, I digress, so we'll not speak about that. Suffice it to say that whatever food you need, God is the one who provides it. We ought to pray for and thank God for our daily bread. Even if your pantry is full, maybe especially if your pantry is full, you ought to say, thank you, Lord, for your provision. Don't we live in a land of plenty, in a land where we are blessed? I mean, honestly, folks, most of us eat like kings of other generations. Maybe that's part of our problem. We, we maybe enjoy that food too much. God has been good to us. He provides for us the things that we require for life. He's the one who gives us that bounty. What a joy that is when you sit down to your table and you have enough food to feed your family. You ought to thank God and praise Him. You ought to worship Him because it's not like that for everyone. Then we're reminded in verse 15, He sendeth forth His commandment upon earth. His word runneth very swiftly. Now, it seems that verse 15 is particularly talking about the fact that nature responds to the rule and the dominion of God. It's the idea that when the Lord speaks, nature responds. Just like when Jesus said, peace be still, and the wind and the waves laid down, and everything was quiet and peaceful in a moment. Why? Because he is the master. And that's the idea here, is that God is the ruler over nature. And and then this is developed in the following verses. Verse 16, this proclamation of God is made, and this proclamation rules over the different periods of natural time, or what we call the seasons. The winter is described in verse 16 and 17. He gives snow like wool. We haven't had much snow this year, have we? But when the snow falls and no one has walked in it, and you look outside and you see the freshly fallen snow covering the ground, isn't it beautiful? Even if you don't like cold and you don't like snow, there's something that is beautiful about the snow. It's a a beautiful testimony of God's creative power. He scattereth the hoarfrost like ashes. I don't know if you've ever seen hoarfrost. 
But if you have, there's, there's few things that are as beautiful as what happens when the fog freezes on the different branches and the objects that are all around. And it leaves a pattern of beauty and sparkly white. It's just incredible. It's, it's breathtaking as you think God did that. It's such a small thing. Droplets of water that froze to create incredible beauty. And this is a reminder of our God and his creative power and his ability. It talks about his ice that he casteth forth like morsels. So next time it's sleeting and freezing rain, just remember that God is the one who is in control of those things. And then he asks us the question, who can stand before his cold? And if you've ever been somewhere where it really gets cold, folks, that's not here. It doesn't get that cold in Pennsylvania. But if you've ever been in a place where it's so cold, you can feel the cold when you breathe. And your breath freezes or on the in my case, on your mustache and your beard as you're breathing, and you pretty soon have icicles hanging off your face. Now, that's starting to get cold. That's not a pleasant environment. Who can stand before that kind of cold? And then he reminds us, and he switches gears in the next verse, and he says in verse 18, then it's that season is past. He sendeth out his word... And, and he melteth them. You couldn't stand before that cold. You couldn't wait till winter was over. And then God said, now it's time. And the warm breezes of spring start to blow. And according to verse 18, when the wind blows and the waters flow, all the snow that God sent begins to melt and run into the waterways and provide moisture for the spring planting season. And this is all by the declaration of God. This is how God provides and how God cares. And as men, uh, we're often trying to figure out how to, how to manipulate these things and how to, how to force it to be a certain way in certain areas. And sometimes I think that God just does something that we're not expecting to remind us that we're not in charge. It's kind of like what just happened in California the last few weeks. They've been all up in arms about how bad the drought is and how horrible the dryness is and all the reservoirs are going down. And, and they said, this is, this is going to be for the next however many years because of climate change and we've got to get rid of all the gas vehicles and stop heating our houses and sit and shiver when it's cold because we don't want anybody to... The earth is, is going the way of, of destruction and we've got to solve it as men. And what did God do? Oh, there was a little change in the jet stream and a couple little things happened that the meteorologists couldn't predict. And next thing you know, in a period of a couple of days, God dumped enough water all over California that they said, whoa, now what are we going to do? And you say, what is that all about? I think sometimes it's just God reminding us that we think we're big stuff, but he is much more powerful than we are. He is the one 
who is in charge. This ought to cause us to worship him. I know many of you don't like the winter, but praise him because he's the God who made snow and ice. He's the one who makes all of that display for you to admire. When the spring winds start to blow and the the grass starts to turn green again, praise him because he's the God who changes the seasons. He's the God who puts his handiwork on display and he is worthy of our praise. We ought to sing and praise and honor him. And then we come in verse 19 to something that is most remarkable. This God who is so powerful that he made everything and he rules over nature. In verse 19, he is the God that showeth his word unto Jacob, his statutes and his judgments unto Israel. We're reminded he hath not dealt so with any nation, and as for his judgments, they have not known them. Your Bible that you hold in your lap is the product of the Hebrew people. It was given through the nation of Israel. As best we know, the authors that were used by the Holy Spirit to compose the scriptures were primarily Jewish men. They were blessed in this way to have the word of God. And we are blessed today to have that very same word passed down to us so that we can read it in our own language. And we can today marvel that we have heard from the voice of God. It is a tremendous privilege for you and I to have God's word that we can hold in our hand and we can place in our heart And we can allow it to govern our life because the precepts of God are a great blessing. Tonight, if you can't find anything else to thank God for, thank God that you have a Bible. Thank God that you know what His Word says because this is a tremendous blessing from God. And then he reminds them in verse 20, the privilege of the people of God. Other people may not be aware of who God is. They may not be aware of God's judgments and His precepts. But tonight, if you know who God is and you know what His Word says, you are privileged. You are blessed by God. Now, what you'll find is you're never blessed so that you can keep that for yourself. You're always blessed so that you can be a blessing. And the whole intent is for us to take those things that we know and to let other people know what we have learned about God and His precepts, which is the reason that we praise Him publicly. We praise Him in the presence of others because because others need to know what a great God we serve. Praise is comely. The psalm ends simply... Praise ye the Lord. Tonight, we ought to praise Him. We ought to magnify His name. We ought to thank Him for all that He has done for us because truly, our God is worthy of praise and thanksgiving. And praise looks good on you. 
So you might as well get busy praising the Lord.